everyone. You're listening to Health Affairs This Week. I'm, I'm Leslie Erdelak. <laughs> oh, boy. Sorry. Sorry. Start. <laughs> I'm Leslie Erdelak. And I'm Rob Lott. This is the podcast where the editors of Health Affairs get together to talk about the latest headlines in health policy news. So it is my favorite time of the year, Rob, for so many reasons. As we move into December, the final month of 2023, we get a chance to reflect and think about all the things that happened this year, the experiences we've shared, the moments that shaped us as individuals and as members of our communities. So in the spirit of reflection, this is our much-anticipated Highlights episode, 2023 edition, yes, We're going to revisit some of the most thought-provoking headlines and stories in health policy that we came across over the course of the year. Are you ready? Oh, yeah. Let's do it, Leslie. I love a good countdown. (laughs) Me too. Um, And shall we aim to highlight 10? That feels like a nice round number. All right. Lightning round. Let's do it. Okay. Here we go. And Leslie, if you don't mind, I'm going to take the first two slots on our list since they sort of uh, go together. Headline number one is all about the national uninsured rate, which HHS announced on August 3rd reached an all-time low of 7.7% during the first quarter of the year. How did we get here? Uh, Well, from 2020 to 2023, the total number of uninsured U.S. residents of all ages dropped from 31 million to 25 million. Uh, We published an article on Forefront by Elia Dashi and co-authors describing this trend, and they point to a number of factors driving this decline. A big one was the pandemic-era policy of continuous enrollment, which is where the federal government basically said to states that it would enhance federal Medicaid matching funds in exchange for those states implementing a policy of continuous enrollment, which was essentially an agreement not to kick anyone off Medicaid during the pandemic. Not surprisingly, uh, Medicaid enrollment grew by over 20 million new beneficiaries during this period. And that's pretty significant. Oh, yeah. Um, But that does bring me to headline number two, uh, which carries with it the uh, distinct sound of another shoe dropping, Leslie, and that is to say Medicaid's unwinding, the policy of Medicaid unwinding. That policy of continuous enrollment, it was temporary, of course, and when the public health emergency ended on March 31, states could begin the process of uh, disenrolling Medicaid beneficiaries for all the reasons that people typically lose coverage, everything from a change in their eligibility status to a shift in a family's income levels to simple paperwork errors. At the time, predictions were pretty dire, and um, they've pretty much come true with more than 11 million people losing coverage um, since the unwinding began, many of them uh, children and many of them losing coverage, not because their eligibility status changed, but simply due to administrative reasons like those paperwork errors or discrepancies in state data. Yeah, it's important to see how those trends play out. I'll pick it up here with my first two highlights. Both have to do with prescription drugs So first, in August, CMS named the first 10 prescription drugs up for price negotiation under the Inflation Reduction Act. And the drugs on that list are some of the most expensive and most commonly used uh, medications in Medicare Part D. 
In court filings, drug makers argue that the negotiations process is unconstitutional, but they've all signaled their willingness to play ball for now. It's up to CMS to figure out how to price each drug. And as anyone will tell you, it's a complicated task, balancing lower costs with the right incentives for the drug companies. But keep in mind that Medicare has never had this kind of negotiating leverage before. So we're all waiting to see how they come up with a fair price for these drugs, which may send a strong signal in terms of the affordability of prescription drugs for years to come. The final negotiated prices come out later next year. So I think this is going to be a major focal point in health policy for the foreseeable future. Second, let's talk about the Ozempic effect. (laughs) Weight loss drugs, I am all about this. Weight loss drugs and diabetes drugs have been in the news a lot this year. And Ozempic in particular has been touted, and I am not making this up, the Taylor Swift of the stock market. Because if we've learned... Anything, (laughs) anything at all, Rob. It's that we must not underestimate the reach that one exceptional commodity can have across every industry imaginable. In this case, from food sales to air travel to medical devices and bariatric surgery, this year we've seen a surge in demand for these appetite-suppressing drugs known as GLP-1s. Workers are asking for more comprehensive obesity care benefits, and there's a major debate over if and how GLP-1s should be covered as the cost of health insurance continues to rise. Do I think some of the hype and speculation about how these drugs will revolutionize the whole of society is overblown? Absolutely. But keep an eye on this one. Okay. My next headline, I think we're up to number five, Leslie, is COVID-19. Um, But it might be more accurate to say that the notable thing this year has been the relative lack of headlines on this topic. Um, Certainly, the disease has not gone away. Certainly, there are still people catching it, getting sick from it, even sadly, tragically, still struggling with long COVID and even dying from the disease. But uh, those numbers, while all still quite concerning, have reached something of an equilibrium with a few new spikes and surges in certain regions and a few new variants popping up. But the health policy press and, to a large extent, policymakers have largely moved on. Um, And if you think back to just how all-consuming COVID-19 was just a year or two ago, I have to admit it's uh, hard to believe just how much it's become part of the background. Mm -hmm. I think in some sense it was inevitable. There was really no way we could sustain the level of intensity of focus on COVID-19 forever. But in another sense, it's it's a shame really, especially because it's not clear that we've learned the right lessons from the pandemic, at least in terms of how we prepare and marshal the resources to prepare for the next pandemic. Yeah, it's definitely on my mind too. Um, so next up, I want to highlight reproductive health care and abortion access. Um, so, you know, since the Dobbs decision, reproductive rights are um, poised to remain a major health, um, a major societal issue, really, heading into 2024. States have moved to either restrict abortion access or solidify it within the last year. Many have also established legal protections affirming the right to contraceptives. Looking ahead, the Supreme Court will decide whether to take up a case over the availability of the abortion pill in what could be the highest profile abortion case to reach the court since Dobbs. There's also a push at the federal level to change current privacy laws to give consumers more control over their personal reproductive and sexual health data. 
And lots of studies in progress, of course, about the impact of new abortion policies on clinical care and racial inequities. So I think it's just, it's really hard to overstate and to try to characterize the ripple effects created by the court's Dobbs decision. And that's one of the reasons this issue, I think, garnered so much attention this year. For sure. Um, Okay, I'm going to call my next headline, The Revenge of the Acronyms. Uh, by which I mean the continuous rollout and announcement of new CMS Innovation Center models. And I have to admit, uh, Leslie, say what you will about the measurable impact of these programs on people's health. At least their acronym game is on point. Uh, And I want to mention uh, three uh, real quick. Uh, One is the ACO REACH model, which stands for Realizing Equity, Access, and Community Health and is really um, uh, the the latest ACO model focused on organizations that are committed to addressing health disparities among underserved populations. This was actually announced in 2022, but made significant progress in 23, including the awarding of grants to model participants and a key revision to the methodology by which health equity benchmark is calculated. Um, Two other new models I want to mention are the GUIDE model, Guiding an Improved Dementia Experience, which was announced in July and aims to focus on dementia care management um, and improving quality of life for people living with dementia as well as their caregivers. And finally, the AHEAD model, Advancing All-Payer Health Equity Approaches and Development Model, announced in September an innovative total cost of care approach to supporting state efforts aimed at improving population health and reducing costs. Um, There's a lot there, more on all three, their pros and cons in the pages of Health Affairs this past year. Of course. Okay, I'm calling this next one, the X waiver is gone, so now what? In a major policy change, Congress eliminated a requirement called the X waiver in legislation that President Biden signed in late 2022. The X waiver was a special license that prescribers needed to prescribe buprenorphine, which is a medication that treats opioid addiction. There continues to be a lot of stigma in the medical community around buprenorphine. There was also an administrative burden associated with getting the waiver. A lot of prescribers have just been reluctant to prescribe it. So we're about a year in. Uh, Buprenorphine prescriptions only require a standard DEA registration number similar to other controlled substances. And I think it's fair to say there's a test underway, right? Without this restriction in place, are we going to see an increase in the number of people getting buprenorphine prescriptions? It's an open question really at this point, but it makes me think about other regulatory changes that could shift the way we think about addiction treatment. All right. The last headline I want to mention, Leslie, is all about AI or artificial intelligence, which I think we can agree has really hit prime time in 2023. Uh, But of course, that newfound prominence brings nothing if not more questions, more questions from consumers, investors, uh, and of course, policymakers. At least uh, the Biden administration is trying to catch up and play a role in shaping our response issuing an executive order on October 3rd, establishing a framework for managing AI risks and uh, directing federal action to regulate the use of AI health systems. Um, Listeners should check out the piece by Harlan Krumholtz and Jody Daniel that we published on Forefront a few weeks ago. But I think the key is that it's not like the federal government has done nothing up to this point. For example, the FDA has issued guidance on AI-based software 
as medical devices. But to quote from the article, the federal government has not taken a comprehensive approach to developing, testing, and using AI in healthcare. So here's hoping the executive order will set us on the right foot and change things in 2024. Great. And finally, for me, last but not least, I want to talk about affirmative action. In a ruling this past June, the Supreme Court said that schools could no longer use application questions about race when making decisions about who they accept. And much of the discourse since then has been centered on how medical schools and public health programs in particular are trying to adapt to this new legal landscape amid concerns that this ruling really is detrimental to efforts to diversify the medical workforce. And there are a lot of people who are understandably upset and discouraged by the ruling. Um, Just recently, though, I was listening to a conversation with several deans of schools of medicine and public health where someone suggested that we need to be careful not to interpret this case as more restrictive than it is. It's going to take work to mitigate the impact of the court's decision, but let's think about ways to recruit more people from underrepresented groups to apply in the first place. Let's revisit legacy admissions, MCAT scores, and traditional academic metrics, and the costs associated with applying to med school. So it struck me as a more invigorating take on the path forward, and I'll be interested to see how our leaders in higher education respond, because having diversity in medicine and healthcare is so important. Wow, Leslie, what a note to end on. Um, I (laughs) think we did it. Squeezed in all 10 headlines and what a year it's been. We sure did. And that's a wrap. We hope you enjoyed our recap of some of the year's most notable health policy highlights and headlines. We have one more episode for the year focused on our global health issue that comes out really soon. So check that out from all of us at Health Affairs. Thanks for tuning in. And we can't wait to be back in 2024. Happy New Year.